We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 18 as we together hear from the word of the Lord. Genesis 22, 1 through 18. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the, uh, of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. And so we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Almighty God, we come to you. Our hearts open, desires known to you. And so as we humbly approach your word, 
we are ready for you to speak. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, our minds that would come to know and understand your word, our hearts that we would feel its power. Then I pray, O God, by your miraculous hand that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this boldly in Jesus' name. Amen. What sacrifices have you made in your life? What sacrifices uh, are you making today? When, when I think about sacrifices that I've made, I've told you about some of them over the course of, of our time in ministry together here at Covenant. One of them is whenever my wife Lauren and I got pregnant with uh, my beautiful baby girl, Addie, uh, I sold my truck. That was a huge sacrifice. Y'all don't understand. It was a huge sacrifice, okay? I sold my truck so that... Uh, bright baby girl Addie could have a safe space for her car seat to, uh, to rest in. And so we bought some sort of like family vehicle. I think it was a Honda Passport. Do y'all remember those with the big like tire on the back? Yeah. So we bought a Honda Passport used. And uh, so I drove that instead of my 1966 Chevy pickup truck. But I think about other sacrifices, maybe much more profound than a truck. I think about the fact that, that, that Lauren sacrificed so much when we got married uh, not just because she had to tolerate me for the rest of her life, but also because we got married, we went on our honeymoon, and the very next day we packed up a U-Haul and we went to Atlanta, Georgia, where we had no family, no friends, no jobs, just we're going to start seminary. And I probably don't consider enough how amazing that sacrifice was to remove oneself from family, from friends, from what is known and what is comfortable to enter into that unknown space. What have you sacrificed? I've heard some of your stories of sacrifice over the years. Some of you who, uh, in order to advance in your careers, needed to take an overseas assignment and as your family discerned and prayed, you determined that that overseas assignment was not what was best for your family, so you sacrificed your career and your advancement for your family. Then I think about those of you who, who got to that crossroads in your career, and, and you prayed with your family, and you sacrificed uh, the comforts of home and what is familiar and what is known, and you felt the Lord leading you to take that assignment Overseas, and what a great and incredible sacrifice that was for you as well. What do we sacrifice for our families, for our spouses, for our children? What do we sacrifice for those things that are most important to us? And if we begin to process that through, I think that we come across maybe a deeper question of sacrifice. What have we sacrificed or what do we sacrifice for God? 
And some of y'all might, might, might hear that question and, and, and begin to, to, to wonder to yourself, have I ever actually sacrificed anything for God? Do, do, do I even know what God desires from me enough to be able to determine if the sacrifices that I have made are for God or just for me? But I think about the ways in which so many of you have, have, have altered your lives drastically in order to care for your parents as they have gone through severe illness and aged. And I think about the biblical mandate to honor your father and mother and how in so doing, in sacrificing the plans that you made for yourself about your life, in sacrificing that for the sake of your parents and caring for your parents, you are obeying God and sacrificing for God. That's not just for you, and it's not just for your parents. It's for God. So now whenever you reframe that, whenever you look at it in, in, in that other direction, in all the ways in which God calls us uh, to, to, to honor our fathers and mothers, uh, to, to care for and to lead our family, our children, to honor our spouses and sacrifice uh, as Jesus sacrificed for the church, for our spouses. If you put all of those things into perspective, all of a sudden you could see, maybe I have been sacrificing more for God than I might have originally thought. So what have you, what do you, what are you sacrificing for God? And then we are confronted with the nature of this scripture and the thing that, that, that quite honestly uh, uh, warranted so many of us turning our ears off to hear the rest of the scripture. I'm sure you caught it because it's startling. In verse 2 of the 18 verses that I read to you, you might have stopped listening. Because God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. And you heard that and you thought to yourself, my children are the most precious things to me. This is unfathom, unfathomable. This is abhorrent. This is ghastly. How can God ask Abraham to do this? And, and then we shut down and fail to hear an incredible teaching of the Lord. And so I need to, 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 to pause. I need to pull back. I need to do a little bit of work around uh, the historical relevance in the biblical example of child sacrifice so that we can understand that when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, Abraham didn't respond as you responded when I read verse 2. Are you ready? Here we go. So, did you know that child sacrifice across the globe uh, was, was rampant throughout almost every known culture? Even, even in, in the 11th century, 
the Nordic peoples were still, still sacrificing to Odin, children and humans, adults. And children and humans. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. Thank you for laughing. See, those are the things that, that I totally would just blow by and everybody would be laughing at me later, but you laughed out loud enough for me to catch that. Wow. Um, the Nordic peoples were sacrificing humans in the 11th century. The Aztec people were sacrificing humans uh, in mass, sometimes by the hundreds of thousands. The Aztec people were sacrificing humans in the 15th century. In West Africa, human sacrifice continued into the 19th century until the middle of the 19th century. Uh, the, the English then convinced them that this was no longer a valid form of worship. Human sacrifice, it did not know uh, uh, bounds of, of culture, of continent, of region, of race, of ethnicity. Human sacrifice has been a part of the story of the world globally. And so where are we actually in scripture? So that when Abraham hears it, what does he hear? What does he know about? So we know that, that Abraham was, was well conditioned in the ways of the Canaanite peoples. Uh, first, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 12. This is the, the, the 10 chapter lead up to what we read today. So the story of Abraham starts in chapter 12, continues on for us until what we got in chapter 22. So, so we would already know this if we have been reading the story of God, God's word together. But in Genesis chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, we hear of the call of Abraham to leave his family. And then here's his response. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, and he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his possessions they accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. They set out for the land of Canaan. And amongst the people known as the Canaanites, Abram and Sarai formed their family. They grew as a people. They became wealthy with great possessions. And they heard from God multiple times over about how their family would be blessed. They heard there that they would move to a space where, uh, where they would have descendants as numerous as the star and stars in the skies, but they didn't have any kids. They didn't have any kids. And so they, they took an Egyptian slave, Hagar, and, and, and Abram had a child, Ishmael. And all of this happened and continued amongst the Canaanite peoples. So what do we know about the Canaanite peoples? What do we know about them and about human sacrifice? Well, we're going to advance the story a little bit, and then we'll come back, okay? So in, in Judges, so this is after Joshua, Judges chapter 2, we hear in verse 8 that Joshua, son of Nun, died at the age of 110. So the people of God were enslaved in Egypt, were delivered from their slavery, were in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, entered into the promised land. Joshua led them on conquest. They rested uh, from their conquest and were a peoples in the land of Canaan. And there Joshua died. But, but then here's what happened. And, and Judges like flips the script so quickly. We need to pay attention to this. 
In Judges 2, verses 10 and 11, here's here's what happens. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that means they died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what had been done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Other gods, false gods, the god Baal. You might remember in Egypt, this was a temptation of the people to to form a golden calf, an image of a false god Baal that was rooted in the Canaanite traditions. Okay, So, so here we have, as soon as God has fulfilled his promises and they have entered into the promised land, the people of God go crazy. For some reason, parents no longer tell children about who God is. And that word about God's faithfulness and God's provision has not been transmitted from generation to generation. Oh, should we mourn and take that heed and warning? That's a whole nother sermon. But here, David speaks to us in the Psalms about what took place whenever they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and turned to the Canaanite gods. It comes to us in Psalm 106, Psalm 106, verse 28, and then we'll skip over to verse 37 and following. You see, David is talking about this very time period after Joshua died and the people turned to evil. The word of God says in verse 28 of Psalm 106, they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifice offered to lifeless gods. So this is when they're worshiping Baal. And then in verse 37, here's what what you hear about the people of God. Are you ready? The Israelite people sacrificed their sons and daughters to false gods. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was desecrated by their blood. They defiled themselves by what they did, by their deeds. They prostituted themselves. We get to Genesis 22, verse 2, and we quit. God says to Abraham, go and sacrifice your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And we quit. We can't imagine it. It's so far beyond us. It's abhorrent. It's, it's out of the question. It's out of the bounds because we know of the love that we share with and for our children. But here we need to remove ourselves from that enough to hear what Abraham would have heard from God. That, that he had been amongst the Canaanite people who consistently over the course of generations had held to the tradition of human sacrifice, particularly child sacrifice. It was such a potent tradition that it even tempted and drew in the Israelite people who had been delivered from slavery, who had been delivered from the wilderness, who had entered the promised land and seen God's faithfulness fulfilled before their eyes in their lives over and over and over and over and over again. And there, in the midst of God's faithfulness, the people of God were still tempted to fall into that abhorrent action of child sacrifice. So Abraham would have heard this from God. And he would have thought, this is different. 
my God. I am Yahweh, not Baal, has never asked this of me before. This is not the God I know, but this is similar to the gods of other peoples that I have resided amongst throughout my life. I'll obey. I'll obey. So we pause for a second and we, and we ask ourselves, we say, all right, if, if the point of this story isn't for us, this teaching isn't for us to get to verse 2 and stop, isn't for us to get to verse 2 and question, isn't for us to wrestle with God perpetually over why God would ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. If that was culturally familiar enough for Abraham to lean in there, what then are we to learn from this passage of Scripture that then carries forward wisdom for us today? You see, if it's not shock or horror, then what is it? I think we need to go back to the 10 chapters that led up to this. Abraham wouldn't have been as much shocked about God's appeal for human sacrifice as he would have been shocked about God asking him to sacrifice Isaac. Play this out for me. Remember, remember our stories of Abraham with me just long enough to see how powerful this is. You see, God tells Abram to go, and he goes, and he says, I will bless you, and this is how I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with descendants, and I'm going to make them numerous, and it's going to be amazing. And, and he, he then, after Abram goes, he continues to show favor to Abram, and Abram's, Abram's uh, household grows prosperous, but his household does not grow in numbers because he does not have children. Children. And he's heard this promise from God that you're going to have children. And yet he and Sarah doubt whether or not this could actually happen because they're old. And when they doubt whether or not it'll happen, they then call upon Hagar to have a son for Abram. His name is Ishmael. And so Abram thinks that this line that God said would be founded through him is going to happen through a slave. And God comes to him uh, with, with, with these angels, and, he, and these angels of the Lord declare on the Lord's behalf, no, you got it wrong. I didn't say to take a slave. I didn't say to have a child out of wedlock uh, with your slave. I said that I'm going to give you and Sarah a child. I'm going to bless the two of you with a child. And do you remember what Sarah's response is? Laughter. Laughter. Some of you in the congregation might be able to like resonate with that if I were to tell you that you're going to have a child. Some of you can, I could even behind the mask, I could see some of you laughing. Because some of y'all know that's crazy. It's not possible. And so here we have God telling Abram, you are going to have a child with Sarah. And this is the blessing that I have for you. And then Isaac is born. A miracle, a, a, a proclamation of God's provision to deliver on God's promises. This child is not just Abram's 
son who he loves. This child is Abraham's uh, declaration of God's faithfulness. This is God's promise fulfilled for him. And so when God asks Abraham, Abraham, will you do what I tell you? Will, we, will you trust me enough to be obedient? Will you believe that I am able to fulfill my promises to you? Even if I ask you to sacrifice this one whom you tie to the fulfillment of my promises already gone by. That would have been the shock for Abraham. That would have been the shock for Abraham. But Abraham passed the test. Scripture does describe this clearly as a test. This is something that God is, is doing to, to, to see if this journey that God has been on with Abram, Abraham is, is, is ready for fulfillment. And here in that space, we have a clear test. In verse 1 of chapter 22, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And then it, it talks about how that test was, uh, was fulfilled and God renews his promise, expands his promise to Abraham. And in so doing, uh, he, he, he describes why Abraham passed the test. In verse 18, it says that this, this, this extension of blessing will be passed down through your offspring. All nations on earth will be blessed because, because you have obeyed me. You trusted me to the point that you knew I would always fulfill my promises to you. And you see, brothers and sisters, this is where the beauty of this text really comes to life for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Because when we understand that this scripture is about God consistently fulfilling his promises, when it's about God testing us, wondering do we actually believe that God is fulfilling his promises to us, we then are able to have our eyes open, the veil is torn, the, 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 the scales drop, and we see Jesus all over this text. We can see that, that, that this is not just a story of a Abraham and Isaac. This is not just a story of a promise fulfilled of old, but it's a promise fulfilled 2,400 years later in Jesus. Did you get that? God was pointing to Jesus with Abraham 2,400 years before Jesus. Y'all follow me on this? So, so here, we're, gonna just, we're just going to spend a little bit of time in the Word uh, in, in chapter 22, if you have your Bibles, you, you checked out at verse 2 whenever I read it the first time. But now we're going to see that this, that this isn't just about us having shock and horror over child sacrifice. But it's actually a story about God's faithfulness and how that continues through Jesus. And we're going to see Jesus woven into this text over and over and over again. Are you ready? So if you have your Bibles, just you know, keep them out. Hear all of this in connection to Jesus. In verse 2, then God said to Abraham, take your son, 
your only son whom you love and sacrifice him. And we hear John 3.16 echoing in our ears, for God so loved the world that he would give his one and only son for us. And then Abram continues on this journey with Isaac and, and, and two of his helpers. And there on the way, uh, they, they, are, they are searching for where it is that God has planned to do this miraculous work. And in verse 4, in verse 4, it says, on the third day. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place where this would take place in the distance. On the third day. I don't know about you, but I remember something miraculous happening on the third day. Luke 24 verse 46 says, uh, and he told them this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. On the third day, miracles happen. On the third day, God's promises are fulfilled once and for all, for for all time, for all nations. And so here on the third day, we're supposed to understand that Jesus, this promise fulfilled, was already planned 2,400 years in advance. But get this, in verse 6 of Genesis 22, it says that Abraham took the wood, the wood for the burnt offering, and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the wood, the fire. He carried the wood for the sacrifice. Do you recall that Jesus took his own cross, the cross that he would be sacrificed on, and he drug that cross with blood and sweat dripping down on his face so that he could be a sacrifice. He carried the wood for the sacrifice. How can we not see Jesus in Genesis 22 promise fulfilled for us? And then get this, Isaac then questions, where, where, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Where is, where is this burnt offering? I see the wood. I see the fire. I'm carrying it. What is going on here? And in verse 8, Abraham answers, answers his son, and he says, God himself will provide the lamb. And in, in the gospel of John, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he declares to all the people before Jesus has done any sign or wonder, before he's performed any miracle in their midst, he looks out upon them and he sees Jesus and he declares, look, the Lamb of God has come, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And we wonder where the Lamb would come from. God will provide And then get this, in verse 18, in verse 18, we hear this turn, and this is new, and this is expansive, and this is glorious, and it's about the promise that God had for Abraham, for his descendants. We've known about as numerous as the stars in the sky. We've learned about as numerous as the sands on the seashore. But get this, it's not just for the Israelite people. God's promise is bigger and greater than that. In verse 18, it says, and this, uh, your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, get this, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, all nations, 
Not, not just one nation, not just the Israelite, Israelite nation. All nations will be blessed. That reminds me of Mark chapter 16, verse 15, when Jesus is calling out to his disciples and he's telling them what they're to do when he is gone. And he gives them a commission and he tells them, go to where? All the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This is not a limited or constrained gospel. This is not a limited or constrained promise. But this promise that is fulfilled in Jesus is for all the world. And so we're to see from the very beginning in Genesis, moving from chapter 12 through 22, that God is working a story of salvation, a promise that he is fulfilling because we can trust in him. So when he, he calls to you today with the same call that he gave to Abraham, and it's a call asking, do you trust me? Am I faithful? Will you follow me? Will you be obedient? Look, all that I have done for you, I've given my son, my only son, who on the third day rose from the dead. He's the Lamb of God, of God who is taking away your sins. It's for you. It's for all the world. Will you receive my son? Do you trust me? I am faithful, God says. Do you trust me? May we, the people of God this day, be found like Abraham in chapter 22 of Genesis. And may God come in and offer us the Holy Spirit as reassurance of his power, of his faithfulness. And may he say, you've passed the test. I know. I know that you trust me. Let's pray. Almighty God, what a profound what a profound work you do for us that, that you have woven together this incredible story of faith and faithfulness across the generations. Lord, we thank you that, that your plans are bigger than our plans and your faithfulness is, is more than we can even fathom. And so, Lord, we determine today to trust in you. We determine today to trust in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, in your offering of love for the world and for us. So we turn to you and say, Lord, we'll be obedient. Call us. We'll be obedient. Lead us. We'll be obedient, Lord. Determine our path. And we'll put one foot in front of the other to walk in. We offer this prayer to you and join together as the people of God to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.